Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Joe Buck Emmy Award winning Fox Sports play-by-play man. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs... Not even his own bladder will stop him from making the call. I'm turning to people in the booth, taking my headset off, going, I've got to pee. I'm wearing this parka because it's cold. They put a trash can in front of me. I end up with stage fright. They're counting me back from commercial. Five, four, three, and then boom. Floodgates open, and I start peeing. The problem was play resumed, and I actually called a touchdown live on national TV while peeing in a trash can. Thank you. Very proud of that. It's Joe Buck with Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run. Oh, my God. How did I miss that story? Great job, Zach Weathers, finding that and putting it into the open. I'm sure that is exactly how Joe Buck likes to be brought in to do radio interviews in a, in a market like Chicago. Uh, as Joe Buck joins us right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score, that is a remarkable moment doing play-by-play while um, uh, eliminating, if, if you will, while, while yeah. re- removing toxins. I think it's just being efficient, frankly. I, it's just passing water. That's all it was. Uh, and by the way, that's, it is the best way to be introduced in a radio interview in a market like Chicago. That basically sums up my career. I called the Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah. And by the way, you can hear the excitement in my voice, Chicago. Uh, I'm not fighting that fight anymore. And uh, and I peed while calling a touchdown. It was actually a Green Bay Packers touchdown when they were playing in Milwaukee against Atlanta in the last game that the Packers played at Milwaukee County Stadium as a home venue. That, those uh, are good bathrooms. Those are good bathrooms there in Milwaukee. Well, yeah, you had to. It was basically the, the press box in our booth was at least a 38-minute walk to the bathroom and a 37-minute run. And I, I figured I was going to miss plays. And I just had to – the half wouldn't end. And sometimes, you know, nature calls and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's, just, it's just another skill set. You know, it's like uh, we've, we've seen Al Michaels do a lot of different sports through the years. Uh, seen right. you, you do a lot of different sports, but I don't know. Have you discussed this with Michaels or anybody else? Are you the only guy you know who has, um, uh, who has passed water and called a touchdown at the same time? I think I'm the only idiot who would admit it. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, and, and it was not an age thing. I was literally in my mid-20s. I was 25, I think, when that, when that, when that occurred. So, That's prime prostate health, right there. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you can't handle it at 25, think how I'm doing now at 50. Uh, <laughs> not good. Um, I've always wanted to acquire the Stadium Pal, which was a product where you had 
the urinal leg bag that you would tape to your leg, and it was attached to a tube that led to a receptacle tip, and it was marketed as something to allow football fans to never leave their seat during the course of the wow. game. Yeah. yeah, well, I've, I've used it for years passing drug tests at Fox. <laughs> you and I think it was Ontario Smith, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, yeah for- uh, they, they had a thing, a contraption called the Wizinator. Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can just, I mean, it was really expertly named. That's and you a- can pretty much guess what was going on there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I... I don't. I don't believe that we can pull this interview out of this nosedive, but I'll. Uh, I'll lean on your expertise. That's that's really the only reason I called is to discuss that stuff. Um, Joe Buck is with us here on six seventy. The score. I absolutely loved the mic'd up segments of the All Star Game this week, Joe, and and I, I I've really enjoyed them. For several years now, right? I, I, I feel like George Springer was first uh, when he was in yeah. the outfield a few years back. And I was like, man, this is cool. And then this year, you guys really went next level. Freddie Freeman at the plate. Um, Francisco Lindor, which felt like 10 minutes out there. He's like the mayor of Cleveland recommending restaurants and, and stuff. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I think we have this moment. Do we, Zach Withers? We have the moment um, from, the, from the outfield when Bellinger and Yelich were, were on. Uh, were, were in, uh, they were on mic, and you were in their ears. He's, he's going to play it uh, in a second here. But, like, how, how difficult was it to convince some of those players to allow you to be in their head as much as you were? Well, it, it is. It has been like a three-year process. I think we started it three years ago, and it, you're right. It was George Springer, who I have the utmost respect for uh, for a lot of different reasons. First of all, he's a great player. Secondly, he agreed to do that while he's doing his real job uh letting me talk to him while he's in the outfield and third he grew up with a stuttering problem and for somebody you know who was trying to multitask do his job uh you know and 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 present himself to a national audience i just i think the world of that guy and any team would be better with george springer obviously but he's just a good person then we did bryce harper and i was talking to him about the NFL, he's a big Cowboy fan. And so you, you figure that these guys, these younger guys, kind of get it, and they can. They grew up in the multi-tax TV era, almost all-access era, uh, if you will. And so they, they don't fight it. We went into that game on Tuesday in Cleveland, and John and I, Smoltz and I, were trying to beg Justin Verlander to wear a microphone that would have been sewn into his undershirt on the mound. And we said, you know, just think out loud. Like if, if let's say Freddie Freeman steps in, think out loud, like, Hey, I want to get this guy out with a fastball up and away. And he was like, are you kidding me? No, no, no. And then Smoltz said, well, I would have done it when I was playing. And that started to get him to bend a little bit. And then by the end of our little visit with him, he said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my wife uh, about our conversation. If she says that I should wear it, I will. And I said, well, if Kate rolls over tonight and says, honey, wear the microphone, you'll know that I got to her because I think it would be groundbreaking. And then as we got to the game, I didn't think we were going to be able to talk to anybody. It's a lot harder, I would think, to hit with somebody talking to you than it would be to pitch. And Freddie Freeman just wore it up there. He was mic'd up. To, so we could listen to him and talk to him when he was in the field. And he told our guy down there, I'll go up and hit with it, and they can talk to me. And 
he was great. So uh, it, it really it really hasn't been that big of a fight. And I think once these guys see that the earth continues to spin and the flow of the Nile is going the same way after they talk to national TV, I think it's an opportunity for them and it's an opportunity for fans to get to know who they are better. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. We, we learned stuff about all those guys and, and about the game. I love that Verlander considered it and then apparently Kate said no. Kate, Kate rolling over is a terrific image and we all appreciate that. Um, yeah, it, hey. Yeah. But uh, so she, she apparently said no. He looked a little annoyed when Freddie was up there talking. And maybe that's the context. Did he know that Freddie was mic'd up at that point, or was he? Just... I don't think so. I, okay. You know, first of all, that stadium, that field was so loud. I, I don't know that anybody could understand what anybody was saying down there. And so I think he was yelling out to Verlander, saying, "Hey, I'm Mike. They're going to tell me what's coming," which we never had that center field shot of the signs or i might have whispered it to him and probably would have gotten fired in the process but uh meaning hey there he's gonna throw a fastball here or whatever uh, but i think he was yelling that out to verlander i don't think he was annoyed i don't think he could hear what the heck he was saying yeah. so i i think that was more the reason why he kind of looked like well, what what are you talking about it, it, it's an interesting game to do these days because you know you're watching and and the guys don't don't necessarily care who who wins as much, um, and, and you can kind of feel that when you're used to watching a game with intensity. But the way to make it interesting, I think, is that stuff. I mean, that's that. I thought it was fascinating, and really and really let us in. Um, some some games present stuff in a different light. Man, I looked askance at the idea of London baseball. Joe, I, I was like, yeah. oh, this is silly. Why are we doing this? You're trying to grow the game. And then it happened, and that looked like, and as a viewer, it seemed like an absolute delight. It how, was great. How was it for it was, you? Yeah. It was great. I, you know, I, I took advantage of Fox's dime and went over there a few days early um, and enjoyed it. And I can honestly tell you, you know, I talked to the managers. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Aaron Boone and Alex Cora, the two managers, and I said, I know all these guys are saying all the right things publicly, about having to come over here to London, but what are they really saying, like behind closed doors? And somebody had asked me going into that that game, who do you think will win? It was a, it was a British reporter, and it was you know who do you think is going to win? I have no idea, and it's, it really depends on the pitching, as we ended up seeing, obviously. And I said it, it'll be the team that complains the least about having to go over there. And these guys were they're young guys; they wanted to go to Europe, and they had two days off. The travel these days is not that much different. I, you probably saw the pictures of the way the Red Sox went over there. It's not that much different going Boston to Seattle or whatever it might be. And they they did it with a smile on their faces, enjoyed it. It looked and felt like Major League Baseball. I know the scores were ridiculous. <laughs> I, I think the only thing that happened, and, and this is one theory why the ball was just getting pulverized, is it's an Olympic stadium, and they built it with uh, wind currents in mind and sprinting in mind. And so they really limited airflow in that stadium. First of all, it was hot the day Mm. we did it. And so I think the ball was really jumping. Uh, But secondly, the the pitchers said the ball, the the pitches just kind of sat there because there there was no airflow in there because they didn't want airflow to help uh, Usain Bolt or somebody sprinting that could bother records or, uh, you know, eventually get an asterisk because there was some huge wind current behind the sprinters so they that's how they built it and that's the only explanation because 
there were there were no cheapies there. Yes, center field is short, but they put a 16 foot wall on it. And the best thing I can say is what I said on the on the broadcast. It looked and felt and smelled like Major League Baseball, and it didn't feel tricked up. And that's the best thing. I, that's the best compliment I can give it. And with my small brain, it's Cubs Cardinals there next year. All right, you mentioned the ball jumping. It sure is juicy. We're all physicists now. Did you know that? Right. Uh, You've been you've been confirmed as a physicist. Um, you, you referenced something during the All Star Game, Joe Buck, that that I've I've been saying that just because they think it's definitively juicy, the ball doesn't mean baseball wanted it this way. What I what I can't imagine is nefarious owners and executives and Rob Manfred sitting around with physicists and saying, how can we get more homers? How can we get even more? Because they've been rising at at a somewhat problematic level, frankly, for like a decade. There's a lot of execs who don't like the direction of the game. A lot of owners who I think don't like the direction of the game. There's no doubt about that. I, I just think in this day and age, whether it's the Kennedy assassination or anything, it's virtually impossible with as many avenues as there are to disseminate and distribute information, uh, be it on social media, be it, you know, drudge report, whatever dead spin, whatever it might be, to have uh, some sort of a, a, you know, collusion by the commissioner and the owners and have a conspiracy to get home runs up. I just think it, it it's gone this way. And whatever the manufacturer is doing with a baseball, it's a little tighter. And it's a little harder, and it doesn't take much for the ball to jump these days with as hard as these guys are throwing and as talented as these guys are and the change with regard to launch angle and how that's become such a big part of hitting these days. So I I think a lot of things are combining to make the home run numbers go through the roof. But you you can admit or you can acknowledge that the ball has less drag on it. I, I would think that that's you know, a Bryson DeChambeau uh, Pythagorean theorem away of figuring out if the ball has less drag on it than it did, let's say, five years ago. But that doesn't then, – then you can have a separate conversation and say, well, it doesn't mean there's a conspiracy. And, and that was just my point during the game. I, I, I just don't think anybody's capable of having a conspiracy and it not getting out. It just is what it is, and they'll have to go back and investigate and figure out how to, if they want to, uh, put more drag on the ball or – not have these home runs uh, fly out of the park the way they are. Here's a moment from the All-Star game that I was referencing with uh, you and Bellinger and Yelich, and you're talking about the juiced ball. Do you guys uh, think the baseball is tighter, has less drag, is jumping more in 2019? I think they're perfectly fine the way they are. Yeah, me too. I'm not a scientist, so I'm just trying to hit the thing, and whatever it does, it does. Uh, I'm with Cody on that one. I think all of us hitters are uh, stronger. Right where, they're st- at, right where they're at. You're stronger. Just say it. You're stronger. No, we know what we're doing with our swings more now. See, there you go. They know what they're doing with their swings, but they're also they're not going to object to this. It's the pitcher's fight, and somebody's going to have to advocate for the pitchers if this is going to go anywhere. You're correct. And when we talked to Verlander the night before the game, he said – he's getting a blister on the inside of his right thumb. And the only other time he's had that blister and the guy's pitched forever was 2017 when everybody was talking about the same thing. Hmm. He said it, it has to do with the stitching on the ball and the, the density, I guess, of, of the baseball. But wow. yeah, I, I, he's mad about it. 
you know, he made a big stink about it the day before the game, and so then you have to talk about it. But I, I just refuse to believe it's a conspiracy. I just think it's, it's pretty much fact at this point, and what they do with it, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, looking back through your book a little bit this morning, Lucky Bastard is a terrific read from uh, 2016. Came out in that year that the Cubs uh, won the World Series and you made the call, uh, Joe Buck. And, and reading some stories about you hanging around your dad as he worked, it, it feels different now that my seven-year-old has been hanging around the radio station every once in a while or a right. re- remote broadcast or two. And I wonder what that feels like for him to see dad with his weird job. Um, do you remember when you thought to yourself, I want to do it? Or, or a moment that that was reinforced for you as you were hanging around uh, your pop, Jack? I don't think there was a singular moment. I, I also don't think that there was ever a time that I didn't want to do it. I, I just think it was kind of assumed by me, at least. I don't think by him. I'm the seventh of eight kids, and two of the other kids are in the media business, and, and that's it. So there, he had plenty that didn't go in that direction. But I, I think he and I were so close. I was the I mean, the title of my book is Lucky Bastard, and it's it's both literal and figurative. And uh, when I came into the world, I, I think he, he wanted to be really hands-on and close with me. And so he took me on road trips when I was a kid. I saw how much my dad loved the business. I saw how excited he was to go to work. I saw even at the end of his life, and, and this is you know, not not necessarily at the very end, but when he was in his mid sixties, and I was I was getting into the business, and I was starting to work at Fox, and he was dealing with Parkinson's and everything else that he had physically going on. Uh, nothing dimmed his excitement for going down to the stadium and talking to players and being around the ballpark and doing his job. And I think when you see that enough as a kid, and you're close with your parent, no matter what your parent does your dad or mom and and you see how much joy they get out of it i think it's natural to want to go into that business and so i was just fortunate that he wanted me with him and i I knew even when i was three four years old if if i wanted to be in his office when he was doing the very kind of interview you and i are doing and he was on his telephone and he had kind of a deeper more serious voice and he'd say well uh the cardinals tonight are blah, 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 I knew that he was on the radio, and if I wanted to be in there, I had to be quiet. And and so I was quiet as a kid, and I just took it all in. And I eventually moved over one seat from the extra seat in the broadcast booth of the Cardinals to on the air as, uh, at one point, 16-year-old, and then at 18. And then I was full-time when I was 21 after two and doing two years of the minor leagues. So I... I was fortunate, and I owe it all to both he and my mom, who who really kind of guided me to where I am today. Yeah, lucky, lucky is the is the understandable uh, adjective that that yep. begins the book. I, I'll leave the noun alone for this conversation. The um, yeah. Yeah, 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 but 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 I got to tell you, on Father's Day, I had my dad on. He's eighty six. And he's the reason I'm a baseball fan. And we had a, a, a conversation that that I enjoyed, and a lot of listeners enjoyed. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about you and, and your pop, I want to play this um, just in case people don't know, Joe. This is your dad calling the 1991 World Series Game 6 and you calling the 2011 World Series Game 6 as they both end. This is both calls back to back. 
choked the ball. The hitter swings at the arm motion. Into deep left center for Mitchell. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. That, I got chills, man. That was a remarkable moment. And I don't know how many viewers knew it. But uh, I, I remembered it there because that call of the Kirby Puckett home run, it's Puckett, right, in 91? Yeah, um, it is so memorable. And just like, what, that, that's, that's beautiful. Was that in the holster to, to pay homage to your dad? Were you thinking maybe this situation would arise? Or, or... Yeah, I think anytime there's been a game six, I kind of did a twist on it way earlier in the early 2000s that was uh, along those lines. And then I retired uh, from doing the jack buck cover band greatest hits after that one uh but i i think there were a lot of things going on there first of all that was the that was the back end of the year which was really the reason why i wrote the book uh of my paralyzed vocal cord and why that all happened and my voice had just started to come back about nine months after the fact uh in october there and i can still hear it in my voice it's not all there but I that that was it was an easy call to make because it wasn't a long call. So I was still choking out play-by-play calls that were short, sweet, to the point, and it fit. It was a St. Louis kid, David Freeze, who hit the home run. It was in St. Louis, and I could picture my dad saying that one booth over uh, to my left when that came out of my mouth. Wow. And uh, my mom got a kick out of it. Some people ripped me for it, uh, which is the world we live in these days, but. Uh, it, it just fit, and that was it. And it was almost 20 years to the day that he had made that call. And the, the cool part about it all, at least to me, is not only was it my dad in 1991, but Tim McCarver was sitting with him in 1991, and Tim McCarver was sitting with me in 2011, which is kind of the, the crazy twist to all of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. Thanks, thanks for retelling that. I, I, it's appreciated. It's just like... It's rare you get that moment to truly uh, connect with Pops in, in such a direct yeah. way. I, yeah. um, you you, you got to stay in touch with the fan side. I stay in touch with my, with my pure baseball fandom through my complete meatball Cub fan wife. I mean, she is ridiculous, and her passion is thankfully contagious, and I, I just I feed off of it. You are a sports fan when it comes to hockey, like a clean healthy sports fan who doesn't have to worry about anything and can just watch the damn game. How was the St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup run, Joe? Well, I mean, back to my dad yet again. He was there the first voice of the Blues when they uh, were an expansion team in 67. And so he didn't know anything about hockey, and, and he was admittedly not great at it. And he used to say it was radio, so he would just pick one guy out a night, and that guy was going to have the greatest night of his life on the ice, whether he was on the ice or on the bench at that moment, or maybe even scratched back then. Uh, nobody really was holding you to uh, the perfect standard. Uh, so it was something that was in his blood from the late 60s. I was born in 69, and as I was growing up, you know, he and I spent a lot of time on – on our couch watching the blues and then i became a season ticket holder and then i started taking my daughters down and we had seats right behind the net that they defended twice and it was just kind of our thing and so for me to get to cheer openly i'm always accused of rooting against every team as we've talked about a thousand times (laughs) uh 
and really it's it's more a function of not rooting for any team that that's going on. This is the one team I can root for. It's a sport I don't do, uh, and it's a team that that I love and send my money to. So uh, when they won it all, which was an out of nowhere story and kind of a out of body experience for a lot of us in St. Louis. It was uh, emotional, and I got it. You know, it, it, it's just another example of how when Cub fans or Yankee fans or Red Sox fans or even Cardinal fans who think I root against the Cardinals in the postseason, when, when, when emotions are that high, it becomes uh, kind of crazy, and, and I felt that way. You know, I, you start listening to the announcers, and I'm listening to Doc Emmerich and those guys, and I'm going, I feel like they want the Bruins to win. I'm like, wait, I'm guilty of doing the exact thing that I complain about during October in baseball, oh, and it just isn't that way. That's so, beautiful. You thought Doc Emmerich was rooting it. Well, what? Not just Doc. I mean, Kenny Albert. And the yeah. point is this. The point Here's the big point. Yeah. They're not. They don't care. It doesn't affect them whatsoever. But you want your hometown guys to do it. That's the bigger point is when, especially in baseball, when you listen to your guys, and, and you guys have great broadcasters there, and, and Len is – not as you know. I mean, he's not just a great broadcaster. He's a great guy and yep. a good friend. And and so he's living and dying with the Cubs, and Jim too, and uh, certainly Pat Hughes and Ron, and and those guys are phenomenal. Not just at what they do, but but they're also proponents and people who live, breathe, eat, sleep, and walk Cubs baseball. And and fans that watch those guys or listen to those guys know who they're rooting for, and that's how it should be. And and so now the games mean the most. You got 108 years of not winning it, and now the national guys show up, and it's like, wait, I want my guys calling the game, not somebody who's screaming and yelling when the Indians guy hits a home run. So I get it, and and it's every year I feel that way in hockey. And Kenny Albert's one of my best friends in the business, and I joke about it with him. Like I I get it. You're not there. You don't care. But I want to hear the hometown guys, and that that's really the bigger point. I, I'd, I'd love to hang around and just listen to you and Kenny tell Marvin Jack stories. I bet there's, yeah. some, there's some good stuff there. Um, yeah, oh, there's plenty of good stuff there. Uh, all right, last thing for you. I, I keep badgering you to come out and, and hang out at the Rock Show, the Hot Stove Cool Music, Theo Epstein's uh, event every year. That green room is the best. I'd... I've 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 dreamed I've dreamt of adding Joe Buck to that green room and just watch the conversations ensue. Um, Eddie Vedder played. No, Buck is is busy. He's too busy. Uh, Buddy Guy last month. No, I have a life. I believe kids or family or young twins, something like that, got in the way. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, like zero year old twin boys. Yeah, <laughs> zero year old twin boys. The Sox, by the way, looked good at the U.S. Open. Um, yeah, thank you very much. But what living music artist? Would, would make you say, okay, Spiegel, fine, put me on the guest list. I'll be there. If, what? You, if you get either one of the Thompson twins there, <laughs> uh, and the one guy had that great solo album, uh, I'm just kidding. There's, uh, I, there, there's, it's there's not, three Thompson twins as well, as we know. Which oh, is really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know more than I. I, uh, I mean, if Vetter doesn't get me there, nobody will, and it just has to match up at the right time. But I think as these boys get a little bit older, uh-huh. And, you know, they're they're almost a year and a half now. Uh, you know, by three, they'll be out of the house and working, and, and we'll be good. I'll, I'll show up, and we'll have a good time. All right. A Thompson twin, maybe Boy George solo I could come up with, you know? Yes. Yeah. Or back up 
the culture club, any of that stuff. I know that's right in your wheelhouse. It so. is. It is. Yeah. It's exactly my milieu. Um, yeah. All right, Joe, thank you for the time. Appreciate the, uh, all right, Matt. the time. Nice to talk to you. Anytime. You know that. All right, man. I appreciate it. Have a great day. It's Joe Buck on 670 The Score. He's a good dude, people, um, which I always like as part of the effects of uh, people realizing that. Whenever, whenever we get to talk to him, just a, just a genuine dude who'd like to be good at his job and knows he's a lucky bastard. 670, the score is where you are. It's hit and run. I'm Matt Spiegel. We'll come back and talk to you. Uh, we've got Cubs stuff to get to, White Sox stuff to get to, and Chris Kampka later on on Hit and Run. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. It is Hit and Run, your Sunday morning baseball friend. Matt Spiegel here with you. Just spoke with Joe Buck, John Baker before that, Chris Kampka later on. But we've got time for you right now. So uh, let's stretch our legs, relax, and have some conversation about two very interesting baseball teams. White Sox have been brutal in Oakland the last two nights. Cubs have been very, very good at home, and it's been exciting to see. Uh, 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Phone lines are open, as are the texts at 67011. Uh, Let's start with the phone calls. This is Daryl in South Holland. Daryl, you're on Hit and Run. Good morning. What's happening? Hey, thanks, Matt, for taking my call. Just uh, two quick points. I really enjoyed your interview with Joe Buck. Uh, I'm probably like most fans. I really didn't like that guy until after I heard this interview you just had with him. He's just a normal guy. You just doing his job out there. I probably got, gave him the bad benefit of a doubt, or not the benefit of a doubt, because of some, some of his comments on the Bears games when you know he was Jay Cutler's having a horrible game and stuff like that. And how I always felt that he was against the Chicago teams, but. He's just doing his job, like, and, and his comment about the hockey that really brought me on through. And then I just want to say one thing about the White Sox of the Cubs, and I'll be brief. Is why isn't Collins getting more at bats? I think he should, he should bat every day for the White Sox. He should somehow find a way to get in the lineup every day. And then the comeback player for the Cubs, I'm really, really crazy about this, but I'm hoping Addison Russell has his comeback season and can uh, solidify that, that second base. Like that play he made with Javier Baez yesterday was great. Oh, was now un- we just need to get some hits. Unbelievable play. Daryl, thanks so much. Great call on, on, a, on a number of levels. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, Zach Collins is in a very awkward situation because there's only two catchers. So if you're Ricky Renteria, you can't burn Zach Collins in the fifth inning or sixth inning in a, with a pinch hit situation. Or if you're playing them both, uh, both he and McCann at the same time, then, you know, both can't leave the game. If you get uh, if you want to pinch it for Collins, then you've burned him and you're screwed if McCann goes down. So I think there should be a third catcher here. Um, if, if, if you're going to if you're going to have Collins be here and you want to get him to hit. The one thing I'll say is it, it do not discount the benefit of him learning how to play defense and how to scout pitches and prepare for the major leagues like James McCann does. So he's learning that, and I hope he's soaking up as much of that as possible. And there is a tremendous value there. 
But I hear you. Dude is a hitter with a really good eye, and he needs to be hitting. Um, so you, maybe when Wellington Castillo comes back, if you can find a way to expand Zach Collins' uh, repertoire to include left field or something like that, then maybe you can lose somebody else uh, from your outfield and keep Collins around as one of the three catchers, and that'll, that'll open things up. As far as Buck goes... Yeah, man. I, I thought the hockey stuff was great because that, that puts it in perspective. He's thinking, man, what is old chicken? Marv Albert and Pierre Maguire. Shut up, man. The blues are. And then he's realizing, oh, I get it. I get it. So it makes all the sense in the world. This, uh, this text, Joe's hatred of the Cubs really shined through in that interview. I'm pretty sure he's rooting against my career and my family as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. 670 The Score is where you are. Let's talk to Wolf in Atlanta. Wolf, where you been? Hello, Wolf. How are you? I have been moving. I'm moving down to Tampa Bay. All right. Well, asked and answered, sir. What can I do for you? Yes. Um, and uh, also, Yomer is the emergency catcher. Um, and um, But I, I had two quick White Sox questions. Uh, first of all, what do you think about... Jose Abreu, you telling him, listen, we're going to trade you and get a good prospect, and you're going to get some playoff experience, but we do plan on trying to sign you in the offseason. Um, and then secondly, what do you think about uh, doing what we did for Eloy, for Robert, uh, signing him to a long-term contract? I, I, I think he's going to be ready by next year, and uh, lock these guys down, baby. All right, thank you, Wolf. Appreciate the call. Um, saying that overtly to Abreu and then trying to get it done, I, I'm, I'm frankly unsure if that is considered tampering. It's happened before. Roldis Chapman recently, Ricky Henderson way back when for Steve Carsey is the one I always remember. But, I mean, you know, a team trades somebody away and then re-signs them immediately in free agency. I, I, I genuinely don't know if that's considered tampering to tell somebody. So, you know, if you do tell somebody, then you're not going to do it publicly. Um, But I'd be all for it. I I am firmly of the mind that Jose Abreu should be a part of the White Sox for at least the next two years. Firmly. And I know it's awkward because we just mentioned Zach Collins as a first base DH type when he's not a catcher. And Andrew Vaughn is a first base DH type uh, who is going to move quickly through the system and eventually take that job and be your first baseman of the future and maybe and maybe even your first baseman in the middle of the run, or he and Jose Abreu can, can go back and forth um, between first base and DH. You use it that way. Although I know you're going to want to sometimes play Eloy Jimenez at DH or Zach Collins at DH. Like, there'll be a lot of juggling, but those are good problems. And Jose Abreu, as a uh, high-leverage hitter, is remarkably good. And I know the numbers say so this year. I think he's hitting with 320 with runners in scoring position. It was last time, last time I looked. But just look at the quality of his at-bats. And, and these young guys learning some of the professionalism and some of the performance-based professionalism, like the, the runners in scoring position stuff, there, there's, just, there's a lot of value there for Abreu for me. And in terms of a contract like that for, um, for Luis Robert, maybe in the offseason, you know, it, it, if, if things work out and you're going to hit next spring with Giolito, Cease, and Kopech healthy and ready to go, and you sign a free agent pitcher, 
Maybe Garrett Cole is the dream. Maybe Dallas Keuchel makes sense, even though you didn't go down that path. Boy, Dallas Keuchel, to be your John Lester, it's made a lot of sense to me for a couple years now, or for a year and a half, whatever it's been since he's been uh, a free agent. Um, so, So anyway, but if you are going to hit the spring with your rotation healthy and ready to go, you want to hit opening day with Luis Robert as your center fielder if he deserves to be there, assuming he deserves to be there. Dude has an OPS over one at three different levels so far this year. Uh, I'm not sure what he did yesterday in Charlotte. I got to look. But the two, his first two games in Charlotte, he had um, uh, eight RBIs in two games. So, I mean, it's, just, it's been preposterous for Luis Robert at every stretch. Eight home runs. Um, sorry, eight, I'm looking at different stats. But, yeah, eight RBIs in the first two games. And if Lou Bob deserves the job next year, he should have the do- job day one, regardless of service time. I think they'll find a way to do that. And you know what? Even if they don't sign him to one of those preemptive extensions like they did for Eloy, I bet they will find a way to start the year with Lou Bob. And he might even come up in September. I'm holding out hope for that because I'd like to see it. All right, 670, the score is where you are. we got to take a break. We'll come back and continue to take your phone calls. I see Cubs calls. I see White Sox calls. All good. I have MLB stuff to get to with you. Uh, from around the league as well. And Chris Kampka in about one hour. It's 670 the score. Welcome back in on 670 the score. It's hit and run. I'm Matt Spiegel. I am here with you uh, up until Cubs pregame at 1245 or so. And then it will be Cubs Pirates. And then after that, it Madden's post at, at the post. It's Madden's post at the post. It's Ron Coomer and Joe Madden, and I believe several special guests. That will be right here on the score after Zach Zaidman's postgame, live from Madden's post over there at Wrigley Field. The first one was very fun. Anthony Rizzo and David Ross were there. I have no idea who's going to be there today. But when you're Joe Madden and you're Ron Coomer and you say, hey, would you come by? And some guys will. You know they will. And it should be, it should be very cool. Uh, I enjoy that place. The menu is is funky, uh, but I dig it. Maybe, maybe I'm uh, just weird that way. But I like pierogies a lot. I, they had a, I had the Hazelton antipasti the other day. That was delicious. And um, if you can get a, a table up there at that balcony upstairs, absolutely gorgeous. Six seventy. The score is where you are. We are texting at six seventy eleven, or actually, you are texting at six seventy eleven. And several of you have. Uh, here's one: Is service time applicable to Luis Robert since he was an international free agent as opposed to a draft pick? I, yes, I have been asking that specific question. It is applicable. It is exactly. It is the same. Here's what's different is that they already gave him a $26 million signing bonus, and they already paid $26 million in tax because they went over their international signing. So Luis Robert comes with a sunk cost already of $52 million. This is what level of prospect he is. This is what big news it was when he chose the White Sox, and we covered it that way at the time. But yeah, so $52 million of sunk cost already in Luis Robert. Wouldn't that make you care about service time a little bit less? It, it would me, um, especially when you, it coincides with the timing of your winning window, which is pronto. So, man, I, I, I think he should be here in September. And I'm not usually that guy. I wasn't that guy with Eloy because I understood delay, 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 do the smart thing. Or with Bryant, famously, as the Cubs did it, you know, 
Um, my, my friend Barry Rosner used to say seven is more than six. Seven controllable years as opposed to six controllable years. That's why you wait on Chris Bryant. That's why you waited on Eloy. And if that's what they want to do with Robert, then, then okay. But I suspect that they'll value it differently because of that sunk cost. And, uh, and, and, and I hope they do, frankly. Let's go to the phones. Mike is in Hoffman Estates on the score. Mike, you're on Hit and Run. Good morning. Hey, Maddie, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. Uh, quick question for you. I'm just thinking that maybe that Brian should be um, put on leadoff because of his on-base percentage is over 100 points higher than uh, Schwarber's, and his batting average is 60 points higher, especially with the way he's hitting lately. Mm. I think he's hitting like 625 over the last three-week window. Um, I just think that makes more sense because his, you know, his hitting with runners on um, in scoring position isn't all that great, but his on-base is so much higher than Schwarber's, and I think that moving him up and Rizzo and Baez and then maybe putting Schwarber at fifth, that in fifth makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I hear you, man. Thanks for the call. Um, Really good day yesterday for Kyle Schwarber in terms of accepting his walks. Walked twice in that first inning when 11 guys came to the plate and they scored seven runs. Uh, Bryant is in the three-hole again today. I really like him there. I understood why he's been second all this time. Now Baez is there at second. Uh, the Cubs, as documented last week with Chris Kampka, are, are 17th, or at least they were at the break, 17th in plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Sahad of Sharma went uh, on a deep dive on Bryant the other day, and, and he wrote on The Athletic that Bryant is on pace for the fewest plate appearances with runners in scoring position of his career. I know we are concerned about his batting average with runners in scoring position, but he's so good and is rolling right now. Keep giving him opportunities. I want him with more opportunities with runners in scoring position. I don't, that's why I don't want to move Bryant to the top. Uh, I want him to stay right at three. I think that's fun and has been working well with Baez and then Bryant and then Rizzo. I'm with you on Schwarber moving down, though. It's a nice day yesterday. But, man, the OBP before yesterday had gotten down to 315, and that's just you can't, you can't do that. The Cubs as a team from the leadoff spot are 26th in baseball in terms of on-base percentage from the leadoff spot with a 304 on-base percentage overall. That is brutal. The teams below them, Miami, bad. Baltimore, bad. Detroit, bad. Cardinals, Matt Carpenter's been bad. He's got an OPS under 710. It, amazingly enough, just above the Cubs at 25th is the Milwaukee Brewers. You know why? Because Lorenzo Cain has been brutal. He's been dropped down the order. He's got like a 655 OPS. These numbers uh, as of yesterday morning, I should say. Um, but, I mean, my goodness, it's been brutal. I'd consider Jason Hayward there at this point. I would sooner see Jason Hayward there than anybody. You can flip-flop Hayward and Schwarber in today's lineup, and I'd be, I'd be a happy boy. Uh, right now, here's the lineup. Schwarber, Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, Caratini gets another start at catcher. Hayward, Robel Garcia, David Bodie, Jose Quintana. They're really trying to protect and preserve Wilson Contreras, and he's got a small little nagging injury. Um, so they're going to give Caratini the start there for Jose Quintana. It'd be great if the Cubs could go out and get a prototypical leadoff hitter. There's just not many of them out there, not many of them available. That is certainly true. If you're going to work with what you have, I say Hayward. 
And if you're going to go out and get one, well, let's see. And then Ben Zobrist will be back, and he'll be getting a lot of those chances when he does come back. It is the score. It is hit and run. Ron in the south side, real quick. Let's get you in before we get to the top of the hour. Hello, Ron. Thanks for calling. Hey, real quick, baseball is life, Matt. Um, hey, you know, I was looking forward to, I mean, kind of following the Cleveland and Minnesota series because Cleveland had pulled within five, but Minnesota has these, these first two games have really just beat them pretty good. So I, I don't know, maybe they uh, Minnesota will just win that division. But um, two mm-hmm. things real quick. Uh, as we wait for Luis Robert, uh, we can't overlook the performance of Yohan Mankata. I mean, just quietly going about his business, offensive and defensively. Big, big performance. And lastly, boy, this, this, this pitching for the White Sox is brutal, but it's going to be nice to see Giolito and uh, doing season. I think they go back to back against Kansas. Yes, Kansas they do. City. Yes, they yep. do. So, yeah, yeah that, boy, I tell you, that's that's going that's going to be nice. So that's it, man. Talk to you. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you. Uh, you know the problem with getting them back to back is then you're waiting just the other three days. You're like, all right, okay. And it's too bad Ronaldo Lopez is in the uh, is in the just wait for Dylan Cease and Lucas Giolito category. Uh, we'll see if he can improve on that today. But he did finish the first half with the worst ERA of anybody who qualifies in all of baseball at like 6.34. So nowhere to go but up for Renato Lopez. But, yeah, it'd be kind of, it'd be, would it be more fun if you had uh, Cease and then uh, a chump and then uh, Giolito and then another chump and then Ronaldo? So you could, like, have, have your days spread out a little bit. I understand. Um, Dylan Covey was really, really excited about playing against the A's. Feel bad for him. And I just used two reallys. He used three of them. I believe in, it was either the pregame or the postgame. He said, I really, really, really wanted to beat that team. I think it was in the postgame. They drafted him to the Oakland A's. He's got a lot of former teammates still there. Chapman, I think Olsen was a former teammate. And he was just too amped up. He, he was just too, too pumped. 32 pitches, bye-bye. Um, poor Dylan Covey. Gave up seven runs. But, yeah, man, you got Giolito and Cease coming. As for the Twins, Jake Odorizzi back off the disabled list yesterday. He threw five and a third innings of one-run ball. And before that, when they beat the Indians the first time, that one went 12 innings. They just found a way. The Twins are really good. So... We'll see. Um, long second half. And has anybody ever seen anything like Max Kepler and Trevor Bauer? Has anybody ever seen anything like that? Five consecutive plate appearances. Kepler against Bauer. He's homered. Three times uh, in the last time he faced him. And then the first two times yesterday. Just ridiculous. It is the score. It is hit and run. We've got, a, um, we've got Chris Kampka coming up at 1145. And I want to talk about the Hall of Fame candidacy of one of our locals in a moment. This is uh, the bottom of the hour, by the way, brought to you by Gerber Collision and Glass. When do you get it to Gerber? When you back into someone who is backing out. That's when you get it to Gerber. Locations throughout Chicagoland. Visit GerberCollision.com or call 877-7-GERBER to find your nearest Gerber location. It's hit and run on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.